0: Well, friends, if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 4 this morning. Colossians chapter 4 is where we will be this morning. Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 2. Well, congratulations. Congratulations. I don't know if you knew that you deserved congratulations, but you do. You made it through Thanksgiving, all right? And for some of us, that is a feat unto itself. In fact, some of you, for having made it through Thanksgiving, some of you deserve medals, For the things that you've had to do, the meals you've had to prepare, the people you've had to put up with, some of you deserve medals. Now, some of us, on the other hand, we don't deserve the medals. We should be the ones giving the medals out, all right? But either way, whether you deserve the medal or whether you should be the one giving away medals, you made it. You made it through Thanksgiving. We are in a a series of sermons that we're calling Home for the Holidays. Home for the Holidays. And we're asking the question, how do I posture myself? How do I posture myself to enjoy the holidays and to make much of Christ in the holidays? How do I not miss the meaning and the reason for the season? And so this morning, we're going to think about how do I advance the gospel this holiday season? Think about it this way. Some of you have family members and friends and coworkers and neighbors and classmates and teammates that are not Christians. And they're as far from being a Christian as you could ever imagine. And you, some of us, have been praying for them. We've been praying that that maybe this Christmas season some of the light bulbs will start to go off and they'll say, oh, wait, maybe it's true. Or this conversation, maybe something will click and they'll start to say, oh, wait, maybe it's true. We've been praying for these family members and friends and coworkers and neighbors for years that they would come to the Lord. Or maybe you're praying that they would come back to the Lord. Some of us have sons and daughters, moms, dads, aunts and uncles who years ago, they were the ones that dragged us to church or drug us to church. I don't know. I was an English literature major. I don't do grammar, right? But, but years ago, they were the ones that got us to church, and now they're nowhere to be found. And so we've been praying for them. That's the heartbeat behind Paul's words in Colossians chapter 4. That's what Paul is getting after in Colossians chapter 4. He's saying, man, there are all kinds of people in my life, all kinds of people in my city, all kinds of people in the world that I want them to know the goodness of God. I want them to know that Christmas is true. And Catalyst, that's our goal as well. There are around 2,000 homes within a one-mile radius of this building. Uh, According to statistics, 7 out of 10 people in Virginia have no relationship with Jesus. Uh, 5,000 students over at CNU, and as, as, as much as God is moving on that campus, I would guess it's a large percentage of them that have no relationship with Jesus. 500 elementary school students right across the street, about 200 yards from where you're sitting right now. Statistics tell us that the majority of them don't know Jesus. Last week, Matt Fretwell shared about uh, the gospel advancing in the military community. Nine out of 10 people connected to the military have no relationship with Jesus. Right? We want to see them come to know Jesus. And so you, you know um, that, that that's a heartbeat and a reality in the, the Christmas and the holiday season, but it's not an easy one right? It's, it's not easy to, to interact well with your non-Christian friends. Now, there are two wrong approaches that uh, Christians sometimes take, take towards non-Christians. Now, the truth of the matter is there's a whole bunch more than two, right? But if I could categorize them into two, two wrong approaches that Christians take towards non-Christians, on the one hand, we ignore the differences, they we're like, oh, that's just my, you know, I, he's, he's my uncle, but I know he doesn't believe this stuff. But there's no real difference. I mean, we still, we both hate the cowboys and the redskins. I mean, we both, you know, we both this, we're both that. We, we agree on all these things, and we ignore the difference. Christian, if you are a Christian, you've been born again, right? You've been raised out of the water. If you're a Christian, you have a different spirit dwelling within you. And as much as you love those family members, as much as you enjoy hanging out with those co-workers, if they're non-Christians, then they're different than you. We do non-Christians a disservice when we ignore the fact that there are deep differences between Christians and non-Christians. We have a different master. So on the one hand, we can go the wrong direction and ignore the differences. And on the other hand, we can go the wrong direction and try to get them to be just like us. Christian, the, the, the goal of Christianity is not to get people to be just like you. It's to get people to Jesus, right? The goal of Christianity is not to get them to like the same music as you, right? Or to vote the same way that you vote or to think the, way, the same way that you think. The goal of Christianity is to get them to Jesus, okay? I, I got to burst the bubble for some of us here. But people can trust in Jesus, and love Jesus with all of their heart and still disagree with you. Okay, some people can love Jesus with all of their heart and at the end of the day disagree with you. It's okay. So we see these wrong approaches to uh, addressing non-Christians in our lives, but we, there is a right way, right? And this is probably not um, uh, a shocker to any of you, but here it is. Right? The right way is love. That's it. It's love. It's to love those around us. In Evan's baptism interview, uh, we talked about the fact that baptism is an early step of obedience in following Jesus. That's what it is. It's an early step of obedience in following Jesus. And Evan asked a question. Now, if you know Evan, you know that's not surprising at all, right? All kinds of questions. Many of you have uh, family members like that. Questions upon questions, right? And Evan asked this question. It was a great one. He said, if baptism is an early act of obedience, what's a later act? Of obedience, What's a later act of obedience? A great question, a question that we need to be keep uh, continually asking. And one of those that we talked about is loving the people around you, right? We love as Christ has loved us. We love our neighbors. Evan pointed out, and he was absolutely right. That's not always easy. That's not always easy. You see, you can love Jesus and struggle to love people. That's totally allowed right? You're within the boundaries of Christianity. You can love Jesus and struggle to love people. What you cannot do is love Jesus and refuse to love people. You can love Jesus and struggle to love people. You cannot love Jesus and refuse to love people. So do you honestly love people? Christians, You who walk around with a confession in your heart and a changed nature in your spirit. You who follow Jesus. You have been buried into the waters of baptism and raised to walk in the newness of life. Do you love people? Do you love lost people? Do you love them the way Jesus loved them? Christian, your goal is not merely to avoid or escape lost people, but to win them. Do you love people now some of you know where I'm going with this love is one of those words it's one of those words that it has to be defined right you cannot just talk about love as though it were a Beatles song right You have to define it. What do you mean when you talk about love? So I want everybody to get a pen, pencil, lipstick, mascara. We are not going to put this on the screen, so you have to write it down. If you want to remember it, I'm going to give you a definition of love. And I especially want every woman in the uh, auditorium to to grab something and write this down because this is important. Because when, not if, when you go on that date and that boy bats his eyes and he smiles and his heart pitter-patters and he says, I love you. I want you to stop him dead in his tracks and say, what do you mean? <laughs> I'm, what's your definition of love? And if he stutters or stumbles, you drop him like a bad habit, okay? All right? And if you don't have the courage to do it, you call me, and I will do it right there for you, okay? All right? He has to know. What is love? Okay, so what when we say, do we love Christians, what do you mean? Here it is, right? Voddie Bauckham's definition of love. You ready? Love is an act of the will. It's an act of the will, love has to be shown to be known, as Andy Stanley said in our group this morning, all right, uh, love is an act of the will, accompanied by emotion, love is not void of emotion, nor is it driven by emotion, it is accompanied by emotion that leads to action on behalf of its object, love is an act of the will, accompanied by emotion that leads to action on behalf of of its object. So let me ask you again do you love people? Do you love people? Hannah's got a great crew cheering her on this morning. They're here saying, Hannah, we love you, right? They're showing it, right? They're not just saying it, they're showing it. Love has to be shown to be known. Love is an act of the will accompanied by emotion that leads to, act, leads to action on behalf of its object. In Colossians chapter 4, Paul is helping us love like Jesus. He's helping us love the way we've been loved. He's helping us carry about a Christmas spirit all year long. In Colossians chapter 4, Paul is helping believers live and love in light of the gospel. They've seen and known the preeminence of Christ. They're growing into maturity. They've been baptized. They're remembering that. And this church is wrestling with wrong teaching, which always produces wrong living. And so in this text, as he begins to conclude this letter... He reminds the believers of their call to love, their call to love. He's reminding them of their missional task. This is the moment at the end of the service in which Paul stands up in front of the Colossians church and he says, you are not dismissed, you are sent. So three practical ways, three practical ways Paul helps us live sent this Christmas and holiday season. Number one, pray. Number one, pray. Pray for the advancement of the gospel. If you want to see your uh, family members, your coworkers, your neighbors come to know the Lord, you pray. Continue steadfastly in prayer, Paul says, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, Paul says, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. You see, if you want to see the gospel advance at all, in any way, in any situation, in any circumstance, in yourself or in those you love, pray for the advancement of the gospel. Let me make it painfully clear, because some of you, like me, need things to be painfully clear. There is no advancing the gospel without prayer. It ain't going to happen. There is no advancing the gospel without prayer. There's none. It's not going to happen. It's an impossible situation. That's like trying to win the Daytona 500 without an engine, right? You can turn that key as much as you want. You can press that accelerator all the way to the floor. You don't have an engine. You're not going anywhere, right? So Paul is calling us to pray. Paul calls for a steadfast watchfulness in prayer. He calls for an intentional prayerfulness in regards to doors opening for clear gospel presentation. So, does this describe your prayer life, right? Does this describe your prayer life? Steadfast, watchful, intentionally evangelistic. If God answered your prayers, right, for for your family members from last week, would anything change? Are you steadfast? Are you watchful? Are you intentionally evangelistic? Our missionaries in Southeast Asia right now are going through what's called, a, they're calling it a 40 and 40 campaign, where they're trying to share the gospel with 40 people in 40 days. You know what they're doing first? They're praying. They're praying. Don't miss what Paul is asking for here. He says, would you pray that I may have an opportunity to faithfully and clearly talk about Jesus? Would you pray that while I'm in prison for faithfully and clearly talking about Jesus. I love it. Paul literally has chains on his arms for talking about Jesus, and he's saying, hey, would you keep praying that I keep talking about Jesus? To me, that makes no sense. No, Paul, you pray that the chains would come off. You pray that you would have opportunities to not have chains on your hands. And Paul says, no, 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 I'm fine with the chains. What I'm not fine with is living a life where I'm not sharing Jesus. I look at my own life, and sometimes I think I'd rather get rid of the chains. Right? Right? When it comes to evangelism and prayer, I start shuffling my feet, and I say, well, what, what, what had happened was, uh, and I'm woefully inadequate, right? Paul had experienced the saving grace of God. He knew that Jesus Christ had died for him, and he was willing to lay down his own life to get the gospel to others. I love the way J.D. Greer says it. Those who have experienced the gospel become like it. So are you praying that way this season? Are you praying that God would advance the gospel in you and through you. Secondly, live with wisdom towards non-Christians. Live with wisdom towards non-Christians. Walk in wisdom, Paul says. Walk in wisdom making the toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. So Paul says there's a wise way and a foolish way to live in your relationships with non-Christians. Right? That's probably not surprising to any of us. There's a wise way and a fool, uh, foolish way. And Paul's simply saying don't play the fool. To quote one uh, great theologian, Dwight Schrute, who is not a great theologian, right? Uh, but he said, he said, you know, when I'm about to do something, I'll ask a question. Would an idiot do this? And if he would, I do not do that thing, right? Ah, maybe he's onto something. Maybe he's onto something, right? Paul's saying, walk in wisdom. Don't play the fool, right? There are foolish ways for us to interact with our non-Christian friends to quickly dismiss them, right? To quickly d- to degrade them, to ridicule them. Friends, some, some of us have been Christians for so long that we've forgotten that our non-Christian friends are really intelligent people, right? They're really heartfelt, thinking people. Paul is helping us think evangelistically. How you walk in wisdom or in folly will determine whether or not you earn the right to be heard when you open your mouth to speak about Jesus. Think about it this way. There are some people in the world who you simply don't care to hear from on any topic at all, right? Because of who they are and how they've conducted themselves in the past, because maybe how they've treated you or how you've seen them treat others, you don't care what they have to say about anything. Your hair could be on fire, and they're looking at you saying, hey, hey, you, your, your, hair, your hair's on fire, and you're just, nope, don't want to hear it. I will let it burn, right? You can smell it, and you're like, I'm not hearing it from you, mm you must be wrong. You know, they could say anything to you and you're not gonna hear it. I'll prove it to you. Okay? I'll prove it to you. I read an article the other day on CNN. See, some of you already are like, oh get out of here. Come on. Talk to you. No. Okay, I'll prove it to you again. I was watching Fox News the other day. See the other half of you are just like, oh, get out of here! Come on, really? You're wired. I, I mean, this is just—we're wired this way. We we have these grids, and all of a sudden, somebody comes to the grid. and I'm like, ah, eh, nope, nope. I mean, I, I could tell you, hey, I read an article on CNN the other day, and um, and you're just automatically, no, can't be true. Not haven't, and, and I'm like, hey, it said you're really good looking. You can't be. Wait, what? Wait, maybe they maybe they're onto something, right? This, this Paul's saying the same way. He's saying, be a good grid for the gospel. Be an honest and trustworthy mouthpiece so that when you walk in the room, people don't think, oh, don't believe what he says. Don't believe what she says. Right? Be a good mouthpiece. That's what Paul's talking about. Are the non-Christians in your life looking at the way you live and before you ever open up your mouth determining it's not true or it's not good? Whatever he's got to say, whatever she's got to say, it's not good. F.F. Bruce says it this way. The reputation of the gospel is bound up with the conduct of those who claim to have experienced its saving power. The reputation of the gospel is bound up, it's woven together with the conduct of those who claim to have experienced its saving power. That's what Paul means when he talks about this clarifying phrase, making the best use of the time. He's not calling us to mere productivity or efficiency. Those those things are good. Right, especially in exam week. You need to be efficient, right? But that's not what he's talking about. Paul is is balancing the urgency of the mission with the reality that some people won't hear the gospel until uh, we build the trust to speak it. Are you making the best use of the time when it comes to sharing the gospel? I mean, gosh, hold on, guys. Let's think about this. If only there were a season in our calendar year when people were more likely to talk about Christ I mean, gosh, if only there were a season in our year when our non Christian neighbor might even give a shot at coming to church. Oh, wait a minute. Hold on. Right? We're kind of there, aren't we? Right? We've got this woven into it. Are are you making the best use of the time? Think about it this way every Christian does not have the same opportunities, but every Christian has opportunities. Are you being wise? Are you being faithful? Were you wise in your last interaction with an unbeliever? When's the last time you, you asked one of your non-Christian friends, hey, can I pray for you? And then stopped and say, can I pray for you now? Pray for you now. Thirdly and finally, we are called to speak with grace towards non-Christians. Speak with grace. Paul's laid a foundation of prayer. He's called us to live and walk wisely. And now he tells us how the gospel impacts our speech Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Like, your words and the tone of your voice, they're like like smoke. They tell you there's a fire somewhere. Paul says it this way, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Paul says always, 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 always. There's never a timeout when it comes to the impact of your words. Seasoned with salt. Meaning responsive. It's fitting to the occasion, fitting to the moment, the conversation, right? If if you some some of us speak the same way to everybody we meet, that's not authentic. That's insensitive, right? We want to be we want to be responsive in that way, in relationship to an answer. Here, Paul echoes the Apostle Peter's comments in First Peter three fifteen, give, ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you about the hope you have. Now, answers presuppose questions. Right? It means we're called to know what questions our non-Christian family members are really asking. It doesn't mean we have to have all the answers, but it means we're ready to give an answer to help wrestle with the question in a graceful manner. I appreciate the way scholar R. Kent Hughes puts it. He says, grace in their speech presupposed grace in their hearts. Grace in their speech presupposed grace in their hearts. You see, the question isn't really about your mouth. It's about your heart. Is there grace in your speech? The deeper question, and the question behind the question is, is there grace in your heart? Have you experienced the gospel of grace? Friends, the title of this message, if you saw it here at the beginning, was Towards Outsiders, Towards Outsiders. The reality is that there's an inside and an outside in the Christian world. There are those that are inside the family and those that are outside the family, and we feel distance from some people in our lives, and that distance is a result of living in a world riddled by sin. That distance between us and our non-Christian neighbor is a mere echo of an infinitely greater distance. You see, you, because of sin, are separated from God. You're distance from God, and that distance cannot be overcome except through Christ. See, true Christians understand that they were outsiders and that we were made insiders by grace. We've been been adopted into the family because of the mercy of God, not because of what we bring to the table. Nowhere are we more powerfully reminded of this great truth than at the communion table in which we come as sons and daughters who have been adopted, not who have earned our way. Not who have earned our way, but have been adopted because of the work of Jesus Christ in our place. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he put an end to your sin. He died to pay the full penalty of your sin, to adopt you to God, into the family of God. So the question, friends, is are you in Christ this morning? Are you in Christ this morning? You can be. If you're a believer, remember your baptism, that you've been buried in Christ, raised in Christ. If you're not a believer, Jesus says to you this morning, come to me. In fact, did you know this? Jesus in the gospel says this. He says, nobody who comes to me will ever be turned away. Nobody. Nobody. You say, Jeff, you don't, you don't, you don't know about this. You don't know about that. And you're right. I don't, but Jesus does. Right? You say, Jeff, yeah, but we call it the but what abouts. Right? But what about this sin? But what about that sin? But what about that fault? But what about that failure? Jesus says, no, but what abouts? No, but what abouts? I mean, he didn't literally say that, right? But you get the point. He looks at you and he says, come on, come on, come to me. Come to me. Nobody who comes to me will ever be turned away. So are you friends in Christ this morning? Let me pray for us.